So, Lord, sometimes there's just nothing else to say but to just lift our hands in praise to you. Sometimes in life we have nothing more to give you than just a hallelujah. So, Lord, I pray that no matter what life brings us today, that we would have a heart of worship that postures towards you. Lord, I pray that what we do with our minds, with our words, with our lives would be a, a sweet, sweet sound to your ear. And so, Lord, as we always say, this morning, would you just tune us to you and your spirit? Would you open our hearts to what you have for us? We love you, we worship you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, this morning, we have Paul Holm, who many of you know um, as a part of this church. So would you give a welcome to Paul this morning? Good morning. I have props. Oh, it's great to be back here at First Church. Uh, this is family. Um, your family. Feels good. But it's not about me. And it's not about you. It's about the one we're here today to have an encounter with. Hopefully in a new and fresh way. So to that end, will you pray with me? Our Father, we've already felt your presence this morning. And Lord, you're a good, good Father. Lord, as we hear from your word this morning, Lord, it's not about me. It's about your word. It's about you, what you have done, the grace you have brought. We are here today to hear from you. May we hear the voice, voice of Jesus this morning calling as we continue to open our hearts to you. We pray. Well, it is good to be back here. Since I last left, I've changed jobs. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm now leading a fine arts uh, education and performance center up in Lake County. And you're like, well, why are you there? Well, God took me there, to be honest with you. Um, I could tell you that story this morning um, about how I got there and why I'm there. But just suffice it to say, I, I truly believe with all my heart it's part of the calling that God has placed on my life. And what a tremendous opportunity for ministry each and every day as I encounter much more of the world. Um, I, I see people of all shapes and sizes because um, our doors are open to anyone, children, adults. Um, we have creative arts therapies or dealing with... Um, children with autism or adults with autism, senior citizens that are, are struggling through uh, end-of-life issues. Um, I could go on and on, juvenile court and so on. And It's called the Fine Arts Association, but um, I'm just blessed to be with people who see it as part of their ministry and mission in life, too. And So I thank God for that opportunity, um, and I thank God for the opportunity to be here today sharing with you title of my uh, message this morning is A Change of Heart, A Heart for Change. 
So I think you might uh, catch that there are two, two key words in here, change and heart, right? It's pretty, pretty simple there. Um, to get us going this morning, I'd like to start us in Matthew 22 as we read together what's on the screen. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In preparation for the message this morning, reading that, and partly based upon the experience I'm having in Willoughby, it brought some questions to mind that I'm going to share with you, maybe bring some questions to your mind as well. The first one is, how do we live out God's calling that he has given us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also love our neighbor as ourself? Perhaps you're thinking, how can I do that when I'm so battered and bruised by life's journey that I struggle to love myself, much less give love to others? How can I do that when others mock me for my faith or I see my faith trampled every day in the media? How can I do that when I live in a world that truly worships the idols of self, material possessions, knowledge, and comfort? Or maybe you're thinking, how can I do that when it seems like evil is winning more battles in the world than God is? As one who desires to live a holy and holy devoted life for God, how do I best exemplify the grace of God as I meet and seek to love people who are different than me in race, experience, values, religion, and lifestyle? Am I to withdraw to remain holy? Or am I to embrace to share grace? How do I love them without condoning what I believe is wrong? And then the third question, what keeps me from living out the missional calling of sharing the gospel and the ministerial calling of loving others, even when it is uncomfortable? You know, there are many ways that we can study these questions as the Bible's full of instructive stories and parables around this central question from the Good Samaritan to the Prodigal Son, the Beatitudes, and much more. But today I want to take a little time to reflect on the life of the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul. For I believe in his conversion story, we can find a road map to living out the life and the calling God has placed on each one of our lives. So who was Saul? Saul of Tarsus, not can, to be confused with King Saul, was born in approximately AD 5 in the city of Tarsus in modern-day Turkey. He was born to Jewish parents who possessed Roman citizenship, which was a coveted privilege that their son would also possess. Sometime between the year AD 15 and 20, Saul began his studies of the Hebrew scriptures in the city of Jerusalem. Paul describes himself, as you look through the New Testament, as a Hebrew, an Israelite, 
and a descendant of Abraham. And in his letter to the Philippian church, Paul says that he was a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin. So let's pick up the story of Saul before he became Paul in Acts chapter 7 as you read along. So then they cast him, Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any one belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a named a man named Ananias, come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. 
And all who heard him were amazed. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Wow. What a change. From the great persecutor of the church to the great apostle of the church. What made the difference? Now, before we're too hard on Saul, before his conversion, I want to share something with you that I have found. And that is, we are all persecutors. As a faithful Jew and law expert in the law, I imagine that Paul thought that what he was doing was right in the sight of God. While it sounds horrific to our ears from our current perspective, we have countless stories of the Christian church doing this over the centuries. And Joan of Arc, the Salem Woods Trials, the massacres of Native American children in Canada, and more. We also do this in more subtle ways through unwritten dress codes, worship styles, what is acceptable church language, and much more. Perhaps it grows from the belief that we must keep the church holy and separate and free from impurities. For only then can the church glorify God. So we follow God by obeying his commandments of purity and adherence to his law. Such was the thinking that most likely fueled Paul's fervor. Such is the thinking that has often fueled the church and its response to others who take a different approach. Don't believe me? Let me ask you some questions. Have you ever been critical about worship? This is family. Don't forget I know you. <laughs> Especially in regard to dress, music styles, preaching style, version of biblical text used, uh, by the way, this is the English Standard Version today. I hope you're okay with that. Color of the carpet, pews, or anything else. Have you ever withheld giving because you disagreed with church decisions and did not get your way? Have you ever criticized the body of Christ? I have. Have you ever supported companies, organizations, and causes which at minimum diminish the gospel of Christ and at worst seek to destroy its influence? What about those outside the church that are difficult, that are different, that dress differently? One of the interesting things that I have going on in uh, fine arts was... Um, one of the goals we set for our strategic plan a couple years ago was diversity, equity, and inclusion. How do we reach out and serve our community? How do we include people who are different? And one of the foundational questions I've had to ask myself is, how do I do that knowing that we are all God's creation and no one in this room is more valuable to God than another? and still live out my faith. Really 
course, some hard questions in my life in regards to what my faith is and what it means and how grace and holiness and, you know, how I, how I best glorify God as I try to serve and minister to others. If you have done any of those things, then perhaps you have been complicit in the persecution of the church or others. But there are a couple spiritual truths, other spiritual truths to glean from the story of Stephen stoning and Saul's presence there. I want you to think about this. First of all, Saul knew all there was to know about religion. He knew the law. He knew the stories of Abraham and Moses and the prophets. But all of that religion still made him blind to the very presence of God. See, religion isn't enough. You know why? Because religion is man's attempt to define God and put him in a box. Religion creates its own rules and rewards those who keep them. It's built to serve us, not to serve God. And religion never changes the heart, the very character of the religious. It leaves us a mess and always searching for more. And in time, once we've gotten what we want, or perhaps when it begins to lack meaning, we become apathetic or we become militant in our desire to preserve its traditions. Religion always leaves us a mess because it is our feeble, unworthy attempt to define and know God in a way that serves us. Think about that. As you approach your faith, do you spend more time thinking about how it serves you or how it serves God? Second spiritual truth. Saul was there when Stephen was stoned. He heard Stephen proclaim the gospel in chapter 7 of Acts. Go back and read that if, if you uh, need to be reacquainted with that story. Stephen proclaimed it boldly. He heard Stephen proclaim the gospel even as Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. But that wasn't enough to convince Saul to change him. He was so trapped in his own vision of what faith and religion was that he couldn't hear the very voice of God speaking through Stephen. What about you? Are you able to hear the voice of God? Is he still able to cut through the clutter? Or are you like Saul, wrapped up in the trappings of religion? Second point is, you know, we are a mess. <laughs> I'm a mess. And only an encounter with Jesus can truly change us. It was the literal, audible voice of Jesus calling to Saul on the road to Damascus. A direct encounter with Jesus himself that radically changed Paul. It wasn't a sermon or a song. It wasn't the example of a Christian elder, a great Christian living book, or even the Bible, or what would have been the Torah in Saul's day. 
Only a direct encounter with Jesus could break through the mask of religion and replace it with a relationship. His years of study weren't enough. Passionately doing what the temple elders wanted wasn't enough. And here's what's interesting. There he had the example of Stephen's own encounter, his own faith story, his own filling of the Holy Spirit as he proclaimed the gospel. And it wasn't enough. And you know what? No matter how strong the faith of experience is of someone else, it is no replacement for your own encounter. My experience of God's grace will not save you. It will not heal you. It will not empower you. It will not lead you to an abundant life of serving him and then glory. Only your impersonal encounter with Jesus can free you from the bonds of religion, of pain and disappointment, and separation from God. I, I told you I brought a prop. I said a couple props, but I was mistaken. I brought one. Um, we redid my daughter's bedroom a few years ago, uh, Maddie, who's not here today. By the way, my wife, Kim, and Emma are here today, so if you haven't seen them, say hi on your way out. And uh, my daughter, Emma, had a, a bedroom that was kind of had an English design. We have, uh, my wife's side of the family's from England, and so she had a lot of English things, uh, Union Jack and all that. My, my daughter, Madeline, uh, she went with more of a Paris theme, and so... We had a lot of different things on the walls that kind of give you that feel of culture in Paris and painted the Eiffel Tower, did, did all kinds of stuff. It was really nice. Um, but one of the things we, we hit on there, um, on the wall, we actually hung on the wall, uh, was this. And who can tell me what this is? Oh, you all know what it is. Have you worn a mask? How many of you worn a mask before? Sometime in life. Maybe when you were young and there was candy involved. I don't know. Um, a mask. So, so what does a mask have to do with our message this morning? It's interesting. I wanted to bring one from work. Um, the, my board president is an artist himself, and he uh, likes to do a lot with glass and ceramics. And he did a mask a few years ago that is, an, is large enough to cover my face. And on one side is a smile, and the other side is a frown, and it's supposed to represent the, the duality of comedy and tragedy. And I thought about that, I actually searched for that to bring it here today, because I think so often it represents the mask that you and I wear as we walk through life. Most of us are trying to please someone. Most of us are trying to well, I don't know. It's become much more apparent as we've gotten to the era of social media. Those of you who are into social media, you might be aware of the different filters that you can put on to get rid of the impurities in your face. And it's funny how people, when they, when they take selfies on social media, many people, especially younger people, um, they'll try to make themselves look different, perhaps something that they're not really in real life. Because, see, the image of ourselves is not good enough. Who we really are, we understand we're a mess. We understand that we're not worthy. And so what we try to do is 
somehow replace that authenticity, what we really are with a mask. And you know what? We can do that with religion too. Can we not? We can dress the way that we feel we need to, to feel accepted. We can say the right things. We can go to church so many times. We can, we can, we can use our devotional time as a mask, perhaps. The mask of religion. That's what Paul had. The mask of religion. My last point. An encounter with Jesus frees us from the law and our own baggage that prevents us from living out our calling. You know, the story of Paul's conversion is not just one of a changed heart. It is also the story of one freed from the baggage of religion, the mask of religion that allowed him to have an extraordinary impact on the church. It allowed him to see others as God sees them. And become single-minded in winning them to Christ. After his conversion, Paul became the spiritual father to the church. Even in the midst of persecution that he began to receive within the church and from Rome. Through the Holy Spirit, his heart became consumed by God's own heart. And he saw the world through God's eyes. How does God see the world? John 3, 16 and 17 tells us, if you'll read along. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We all know that verse and probably have that memorized, but do you have verse 17 memorized? For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This goes back to my question earlier. Do we share grace? Do we come out? Do we go out? What do we do? How do we deal with people that are different? How do we deal with a world that is changing so rapidly at times we don't even recognize it? Nothing happening today wasn't happening in a similar way back in, in Paul's time. In Jesus' time. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him and through us as we reflect that. Paul's direct encounter with Christ freed him from fear. It freed him from attachment to things and people, and it freed him from the fear of death. It allowed him to take off his mask of religion and to live out his calling and let me tell you, give you one more glimpse as to what that looks like in Paul's life and what it can look like in our life if we only have and rely on that personal encounter. In 1 Corinthians 9, look at what it says. In Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. To 
I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Does that sound to you like someone wearing the mask of religion? Or someone who had a personal encounter with God? Let me ask you. Have you had a personal encounter with Jesus? And if so, are you living freely out his calling? Or are you still trying to live with the mask of religion? You know, we do that often. We do it for really simple reasons. It's, it's comfortable. It makes our family happy. We want to belong. We want to be fed, and religion feeds us enough. Living out God's calling and relationship, despite its promise, seems scary. What will he call me to? What will I have to sacrifice? What will I miss out on? bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask you a few questions. This morning I just invite you to reflect on your own personal encounter with God, with Jesus. Have you truly had one or are you relying on the mask of religion? Do you have the form of faith but lack the heart of relationship? Has Christ released you from the baggage of religion or whatever your life experience has been and freed you to truly live for him? Perhaps you've been trying to live through the faith experiences of others because you're afraid and not yet had that encounter on your own. Wherever you are today, Jesus wants to have a personal encounter with you. He wants to free you from the messiness of your life and free you to make a kingdom difference. Jesus is speaking. Can you hear his voice? Lord, as we, you speak to us in these moments, we admit our need for you. Our desire is more than just wearing a mask. It's so easy to hide behind a mask with you and with those around us. so easy to hide behind the form of faith and miss the heart of it. Lord, we admit we're a mess. We are all sinners, but for your saving grace. Father, we pray that you would speak to us in these moments.
Lord, if there are those who have not had that personal encounter yet with you, Lord, I just pray that they would hear your voice. As you did so long ago through Saul, there isn't anything in our lives that we have done to this moment that you can't and your saving grace can't fix. You can take a persecutor, you can take a murderer, and you can make them an apostle. So Lord, we bring that mess to you this morning. We lay it at your feet as those laid cloaks at the feet of Saul, but in a different way. We give them up to you. We just want to hear your voice calling. Lord, for those of us who may have heard your voice at one time, and over time that voice has gotten quieter or seems farther away, perhaps we started tuning it out as we got comfortable with it. Lord, speak to us again this morning. May we sense your presence. May we feel your touch. May it prepare us and renew us for things you want to do through us as you did through the Apostle Paul. Lord, we want to be on mission. We want to be ministers of your gospel. Lord, as new days come, help us to do that. Help us to not rely on the voice of the past, but the voice of the present as you speak anew. Lord, we love you. Continue to speak. In your name we pray. As Jesus prepared for his trial, crucifixion, and resurrection, he had a meal with his disciples to celebrate Passover. Passover celebrated when God saved the firstborn children of the Israelites when they were held captive in Egypt. So obeying God's command, they sacrificed a pure lamb and spread its blood on the threshold of the door so the angel of death would pass over. Using this meal to remind his disciples of God's promise, the Last Supper became the symbol of the encounter each of us can have with Jesus and a reminder of the price he has paid to free each of us from sin and death. As we are served by the ushers, remember the price he paid to have an encounter again with you. Remember that he came to seek and save you. Remember that communion is just that, an invitation to commune directly with him. It is our Damascus Road opportunity to encounter the Savior. Let him free you from wearing the mask of religion and restore you to the relationship he created us to have with him. I'm going to read the scripture in a moment. Before they do that, I'm going to invite our servers to come forward. After I read the scripture, um, Charlie will play and we'll have the opportunity to go to the back. And I'm going to ask you to come to the center aisle and come to the front where you'll be served with the bread 
and the juice representing the wine, the body, and the blood of Jesus. As you return to your seat, or if you prefer to come to the altars to pray, you're welcome to do that. But I encourage you to take some time on your own to reflect, to allow God to continue to speak to you. And when you're ready, go ahead and take the bread. We'll do that on our own. I'm going to ask you to wait and hold on to the cup for a moment. And once everyone has been served and returned to their seats and you have a few moments, I'll invite you to take the cup together as a symbol of that shared participation in his sacrifice. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Father, as we participate in communion today, we remember. We remember the sacrifice paid by your son Jesus Christ on the cross for this mess that each of us calls life. Lord, we are so grateful for the salvation that you have given to us. And Lord, we're thankful that you are still speaking, still searching, still seeking, that not one would be lost. So Father, as we partake, Speak to 